Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I invite you on this day to join us as we travel through your word. Father, I ask for wisdom as I read through your word and present your word to those who may be watching or listening. Uh, Lord, I just thank you for all that you've done for us. Um, I thank you for your opportunity at salvation and the opportunity to represent you here in this lifetime on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome to The Word Encounter, episode 117. We concluded in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 2 yesterday, so let's pick it up in chapter 3. And before we get started, you know, just to recap a little bit, this is Solomon's writings, and uh, I find Ecclesiastes to be fascinating in a way because I can almost feel what he's thinking and how he's conflicted at times and, and doesn't know exactly um, which way is up. And, um, and, and, and so we see a man that is in a, in a state of pondering, a state of uh, wondering with, uh, with regard to the, the significance and the, the purpose of life. And uh, I know that I found myself doing that oftentimes over the years. So let's pick it up in chapter 3, verse 1. There's an occasion for everything, a time for every, um, oh, this is entitled The Mystery of Time. There's an occasion for everything, a time for every activity under, the, under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing, a time to search and a time to count as loss, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. In other words, there's a time, there are seasons in life. You know, we all go through seasons where different things are called for at different times in our life. And so you try to execute the wrong plan in the wrong season, it's not going to work. You know, so it's, it's very important that we're discerning of the times and so that we understand uh, not only the general times, but also the seasons in our individual lives. And so in verse 9, what does the worker gain from his struggles? I have seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He also put eternity in their hearts, but no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. That's interesting here. It says, he has made, um, no, he has also put eternity in our hearts. See, man is always wondering, you know, when we're born, there's some, there comes some point in life Probably when you're young, uh, maybe in school, grade school, maybe high school, I don't know. Uh, for me, it was very early. I think I was around 10 or 11 when I started wondering, what is the purpose of this thing called life? <laughs> Why am I here? What, what am I to do? What, what's the deal? And so it's a question that man has been searching for ever since his existence because God placed it in us. We can't avoid that question. We can't avoid trying to answer that question. Let's see. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also put eternity in their hearts. But no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. Now, if we just leave it there, 
it sounds like Solomon's saying, just go out there and party. Just have a good time. Don't worry about nothing. You know, don't don't constrain yourself. Don't worry about constraints. Don't restrain yourself. Just go have a good time. But this is just, you know, one of his thoughts, you know, over over years and years of thinking, you know, and, and, and sometimes you'll come to that conclusion and then you'll leave that conclusion for a different conclusion. And then you may come back to that conclusion because we're going through the ebb and flow of life and we're trying to figure this thing out. And so in verse 13, he says, it is also a gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all his efforts. What I believe Solomon is saying here is that if you're hardworking and whatnot, don't, don't, uh, uh, don't not take time for yourself to enjoy the things of life. That doesn't mean that, uh, that, that those things should supersede uh, the other things of life, but it's saying don't neglect those things of life. Let's go down to verse 17. I said to myself, God will judge the righteous and the wicked since there is time for every activity and every work. I said to myself, you see, he's thinking, he says, I said to myself, you know, this happens so that God may test the children of Adam and they may see for themselves that they are like animals. Hold on to that thought. For the fate of the children of Adam and the fate of animals is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. People have no advantage over animals since everything is futile. And so as Solomon is going through thinking about things and he keeps coming to this conclusion of uh, futility, and so he's just identifying things that he believes at this point in time in his writings that, okay, this thing is futile. And it says here that, um, uh, I, I said to myself, uh, this happens so that God may test the children of Adam and see that they themselves and see for themselves that they are like animals. Now, one of the things of the purposes of uh, of the word, okay, in, in the Old Testament, was so that God could prove to the Israelites that they were in need of a savior. And so that's why the Ten Commandments were created, because uh, so that man could see that in and of himself, he was not capable. He was not capable of keeping those commandments. And so the Ten Commandments are like a mirror. Say, here, look, this is what you are. This is how you are. This is why you're in need of a Savior. And that verse is, is kind of saying something similar. I said to myself, this happens so that God may test the children of Adam. And they may see for themselves that they are like animals. Not that we're like animals, but that we're in need of a savior. Left to our own devices, we become uh, evil. <laughs> That's the best word for it. Verse 20. All are going to the same place. All come from dust and all return to dust. Verse 21. Who knows if the spirits of the children of Adam go upward and the spirits of animals go downward to earth? You know, Solomon saying, who knows? Who knows who's going to heaven and who's going to hell? Who, I don't know. Verse 22. I have seen that there is nothing better than for a person to enjoy his activities because that is his reward. For who can enable himself, for who can, enab for who can uh, enable him to see what will happen after he dies? Got to emphasize again, this is before Jesus has come. And so... He's saying that I've seen that there's nothing better for a person than to enjoy his activities. And so uh, is this true? No, that's, that's not 
there's there's not nothing better than that. There are things better than that. But again, Solomon is in his contemplative state, just observing life, trying to draw conclusions. There is no Jesus, so he doesn't know anything about that. And so these are some of the things that he is concluding. Let's go on to chapter 4, verse 1. Again, I observed all the acts of oppression being done under the sun. Look at the tears of those who are oppressed. They have no one to comfort them. Power is with those who oppress them. They have no one to comfort them. So I commanded the dead who have already died more than the living who are still alive. Oh, no, not commanded. I'm sorry. So I commended the dead who have already died more than the living who are still alive. And so what Solomon is essentially saying, well, let me just go on. Uh, Verse 3. But better than either of them is the one who has not yet existed, who has not seen the evil activity that is done under the sun. So what Solomon is saying is like, okay, I've observed these thing, this thing called life. I'm, I'm a king. I have riches. I have anything I want. you know. But maybe the dead have it better than me. You know, they don't have these temptations. They don't have this futility. They don't have any of these worries or, concern, or concerns. Maybe they're better off than me. And then he goes on to say that even better than that is if you haven't even been born. If you were never even been born, you're better off. Now, now I mean, this sounds kind of melancholy to me, but he's, he's, again, he's in his mind. He's in his own thoughts and trying to figure out, you know, what this thing is. And if I have had access to all of the things that men say are the best things in life, and I am still not content, I am still not satisfied, then maybe I'd be better off either hadn't I been born or if I was already dead. Verse 5, the fool folds his arms and consumes his own flesh. In other words, the fool refuses to work and therefore he goes hungry. <laughs> In verse 6, better one handful with rest then two handfuls with effort and a pursuit of the wind. What's he saying here? It's better that you have one handful of stuff, stuff being resources, money, you know, food, whatever. And at the same time, you're able to get rest. Then it is for you to have two handfuls. In other words, a lot of stuff, a lot of money, a lot of food, a lot of whatever. And not get any rest. And therefore, you're just pursuing the wind because you're going to die anyway. So this doesn't make any sense. Verse 7. Again, I saw the futility under the sun. There was a person without a companion, without even a son or brother. And though there is no end to all his struggles, his eyes are still not content with riches. Who am I struggling for, he asked, in depriving myself of good things? This, too, is futile and a miserable task. So Simon said, look, I've seen another thing that is futile under the sun that makes no sense. Here's a person, a lonely person, a man on an island. He's got no brothers, no family, no friends, no anything. <clears throat> and there's no end to his struggle because he's always trying to acquire stuff. He's always working, trying to gain more and more and more. Because it says his eyes are not content with riches. And so he gains riches, but he doesn't have enough. So he keeps going. He keeps going. He keeps going. And he says, who am I struggling for? So he's asking himself, wait a minute, I don't have kids. I don't have family. I don't have friends. What am I, who am I doing this for? 
And why am I depriving myself of other good things in the pursuit of these, these riches and these other things that I'm going after? And so Solomon says that this, too, is futile and a miserable task. Verse 9. Two are better than one because they have good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up, but pity the one who falls without another one lifting him up. Again, this is talking about the futility of being alone. And so a lot of people uh, behave in a manner, and I'm very familiar with this. A lot of people behave in a manner consistent with uh, the, the idea that I don't need anybody. I'm going to do everything myself. And as a person who has had that mentality at times, uh, that is a very lonely existence, and that is not how we were created. And so you're actually working against nature, and it's not going to work. Verse 11, also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm, but how can one person alone keep warm? In other words, you know, it's saying again, companionship is necessary. We were not created to live this life alone. We're, we're going through this pandemic right now. Uh, this is the fall, uh, entering the winter of uh, 2020. And we are being asked, the people of the world are being asked to do things that are against nature, being asked to distance ourselves from each other. That's not how we were created. We are social beings. We need the contact. We need the interaction. And it is my opinion, just my opinion, that the, the legacy of this virus is going to be more about the residual mental and emotional trauma it left on people than physical deaths and other things. And I say that having friends and, and, and family of those friends having uh, died from this heinous virus. But when I look at it, I said, okay, what is the longer term effect gonna be? And I think more people, or a lot more people, are going to be uh, negatively impacted emotionally and mentally than physically. And some of these things I don't think we're going to see manifest until five, ten years down the line. Verse 12. And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. And so if somebody's coming at you and they're overpowering you, it's a good thing to have a friend with you because odds are they're not going to overpower both of you. So again, it's stating the case for not being alone. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. And so this is, again, uh, seeing that unity amongst people is stronger than if you just stand alone. Let's go on to chapter 5. And we see in verse 2, Do not be hasty to speak, and do not be impulsive to make a speech before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few, uh, be few. Don't go into the temple of the Lord blabbing, 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 talking, 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 talking. That's what Solomon is saying. Go in there, humble yourself, and listen. There's nothing that you can tell or educate God on. You need to be humble and listening so that he can educate and direct you. Verse 3, just as dreams accompany much labor, so also a fool's voice comes with many words. The more you speak, the more opportunity you, to, uh, you give yourself to display to others that you're a fool. And so a lot of people do this. They just go, they just talk, they just talk, talk, talk. They don't listen, they cut other people off. They just talk, talk, talk. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. No. Just as dreams accompany much labor, 
So also a fool's voice comes with many words. Verse 4. When you make a vow to God, don't delay fulfilling it. Because he does not delight in fools. See? Fulfill what you vow. Better that you do not vow than that you vow and not fulfill it. It's better to keep your mouth shut. A lot of times people will say, Lord, if you just get me out of this situation, you know, I swear I will, I will be obedient. I will do this. I will do that. Lord, if you get me out of that situation, I will do this, that, and the other. And then they get out of the situation and they don't hold up their end of the bargain. And so it's saying uh, that it's better to just keep your mouth shut and not vow in anything than to make a vow to the Lord and then not fulfill it. Verse 8, this says, the realities of wealth. If you see oppression of the poor and perversion of justice and righteousness in the, prov and, and righteousness in the province, don't be astonished at the situation. If you see oppression of the poor and a perversion of justice, it's saying, don't be astonished at the situation. Because one official protects another official and higher officials protect them. Don't be astonished at the corruption you see in the government. Don't be astonished. <laughs> you know, because this is, this is the realities of life. Verse 10, the one who loves silver is never satisfied with silver, and whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This, too, is futile. I would gather to say most people say, if I just had more money, then fill in the blank. If I just had more money, then I would be happy. If I just had more money, then I wouldn't be depressed. If I just had more money, then life would be more fulfilling. If I just had more money, then... And so <clears throat> many people march to the beat of that drummer. But I'm here to tell you, via experience, that that is not true. <clears throat> Matter of fact, that can be worse than your previous condition. I'll explain why as we, as we keep reading, but don't allow yourself to get caught in this loop. If I only had more money, if I only had more resources, if I only had more of that, because you're pointing to that as a salvation to your situation, and that is taking the place of God. That's one problem. That's the biggest problem but there are other problems. Verse 12, the sleep of the worker is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich, per, per, uh, but the abundance of the rich permits him no sleep. Now, why is that? The more that you acquire in the way of money, possessions, and whatnot, the more you become afraid of losing it. And the more it keeps you up at nights uh, and it keeps you from sleeping, you know, it, it starts to haunt you and you start to uh, be irritable and whatnot because all you can think about is not losing what you have. It is horrible. It is absolutely horrible. Verse 13, there is a sickening tragedy I have seen under the sun, wealth kept, kept by its owner to his harm. That wealth was lost in a bad venture, so when he fathered a son, he was empty-handed. And so, again, we see a situation where 
wealth is, uh, is actually harmful to many people because it does something. They, they allow their thinking. They allow their rationale. They allow their reason. They allow their logic to get out of whack. And then what happens is uh, what they're afraid of manifests. And then they're in a worse condition than they were previously. Verse 15, as he came from his mother's womb, so he will go again. Naked as he came, he will take nothing for his efforts that he can carry in his hands. This too is a sickening tragedy. Exactly as he comes, so he will go. What does the, what does the one gain who, stru- who struggles for the win? So again, Solomon's saying, look, you're going to leave this world exactly as you came in, with nothing. And, and, and he's calling this a sickening tragedy because he sees what people do and how people strive and whatnot in their lifetime only to be returned to the dust, to nakedness. And it's like, well, what, what's the purpose in that? Verse 18, here's what I have seen to be good. It is appropriate to eat, drink, and experience good in all the labor one does under the sun during the few days of his life God has given him because that is his reward. Furthermore, anyone to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also allowed him to enjoy them. Take his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is a gift of God. And so Solomon's reasoning that if you take the time to partake in the things of life that bring you joy, that is a gift of God. See, I know a lot of people that are workaholics. They cannot sit back and enjoy life because they have to work, work, work because they're trying to achieve, achieve, achieve. And so Solomon is saying it's a gift of God to sit back and enjoy the fruits of your labor. Not that the fruits of your labor, you know, direct you (laughs) and they become your God, but that you take the time in order um, to enjoy God's uh, creation. Verse 20. For he does not often consider the days of his life because God keeps him accompanied with the joy of his heart. And so he's saying, this is, you know, the the fruit, enjoying the fruits of your labor. This is a gift of God, for he does not often consider the days of his life. He's talking about man. Man does not often sit back and consider the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. And so if you take the time to enjoy the things of life, okay, the fruits of your labor, then you will not have a lot of time to sit back and contemplate, you know, the number of your days. And he's saying that this is a gift. Let's see. And let's do chapter six here. Verse one, here's a tragedy I have observed under the sun and it weighs heavily on humanity. God gives a person riches, wealth, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all he desires for himself. But God does not allow him to enjoy them. Instead, a stranger will enjoy them. This is futile and a sickening tragedy. A man may father a hundred children and live many years. Uh, No matter how long he lives, if he is not satisfied by good things and does not uh, even have a proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For he comes in futility and he goes in darkness and his name is shrouded in darkness. Though a stillborn child does not see the sun and is not conscious, it has more rest than he. And if a person lives a thousand years twice, but does not experience happiness, do not both go to the same place. So again, Solomon is is, is trying to reason this thing out, you know. He's saying, look, 
If God gives all this, uh, gives gives a man all that he desires, what does it matter? Because he, it's just gonna he's just gonna turn around and give it to somebody else when he dies. <laughs> you know, if he lives a thousand years twice, if, if he lives two thousand years, a stillborn child is still better off than he, yeah. because they go to the same place. <laughs> so as you can see, Solomon is really conflicted with a lot of things that he sees, and a lot, and his mind is reasoning or trying to reason things out. Um, again, he's at a handicap because. There's no Jesus, there's no understanding of the gospel, there's no bigger mac macro view of what's going on here. But I have had many of Solomon's reasonings and, and, and rationale in my head over the years. And anyway, with that, we're going to conclude today. We'll pick it up in chapter 7 tomorrow. Everybody have a blessed day. Bye-bye.